I'm sorry, it's actually a misprint. It should be chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Last week we began looking at the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost in the context of what the baptism of the Spirit or baptism with the Spirit of God was. This morning I want to continue that conversation but focus more on the filling of the Spirit as it contrasts, in a sense, to the baptism of the Spirit. But we're going to read Acts chapter 2 this morning, just the first four verses as we begin And so we start in verse 1 of Acts chapter 2. The Bible says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Let's take a minute and pray and then we will look at our message this morning. Our Father God, again, we just come before you and Lord, we need to humble ourselves to submit ourselves to your authority and the authority of your word. We know that your Spirit will guide us into all truth as we've already read this morning. And so I pray that you would send your spirit to guide us, to help us to understand, to teach us these things that we need to know today. Lord, help us to pay attention, to become doers of the word, not hearers only, so that we might use your word and through your power to accomplish the things in our lives and in the lives of others that you want to be accomplished. Lord, I ask now for strength from you. I pray that you would fill me with your spirit. I pray that I would be able to speak boldly your truth, and that you might use me as your instrument to communicate to us today the things that you want us to learn. And through all of this, Lord, we ask that you would be glorified, that your name would be lifted up, that we would see you as you are and understand those things that you want us to know. We give this time to you now. We thank you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. As I said last week, we were looking at the baptism with the Spirit or baptism in the Spirit, and we saw that that term doesn't necessarily or is not necessarily defined as many of the charismatic people would define it, where it becomes this uh, second baptism or experiential thing that happens after you're saved. Um, It's actually... Uh, something that the Spirit of God does in us as we are saved or when we are saved. And we saw, as we looked at Scripture, that it's nothing more than Christ literally pouring his Spirit into us as the Holy Spirit brings us together into the body of Christ. So we are baptized by the Spirit, or by Christ actually, with the Spirit into his body to become one with the body. We're going to look more at that this morning. But we, see, we saw the original baptism of the Spirit, and we, again, we read it this morning, as God originally poured out his Spirit to those 120 believers that were meeting in the upper room and waiting, as Christ had told them, for the Spirit to come to them. So it was at that event, or the one we read this morning at Pentecost, that the church was born. That was the beginning of the Spirit-filled believers that we call the New Testament church. And it was those 120 believers in the upper room, all of them were Jews, 
And then in verse 4, we're going to focus on that a little bit this morning. We see that as they were filled with the Spirit, they started speaking in tongues. And Jews from all nations had been gathered in Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. This was 50 days after that. And we are, they have Jews from all around here celebrating the Feast of Harvest that we looked at last week. And so they come and gather, and they hear these 120 speaking in foreign languages, their own languages from other countries, and they say, wow, these are Galileans, aren't they? We don't understand. They don't know these languages. What is God doing? And that's when Peter gets up and begins to preach, and as a result of his preaching, 3,000 people believe and are saved and are added to the church. Okay, so that's the event that we read about here in Acts chapter 2. But as far as the baptism of the Spirit is concerned, we've defined that as very simply when the Holy Spirit makes each of us as believers part of the body of Christ. He brings us into the body of Christ to be one with other believers. And we saw that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and Paul explains that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 12 and 13 say, For as the body is one, there's the one body, and hath many members, and all the members are are of that one body, being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. There's the baptism with the Holy Spirit or by the Holy Spirit. He baptizes us, or we're baptized with the Holy Spirit to be brought into that one body. So Paul says, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. And I said last week that drinking of that one spirit is a reference to how plants are watered, and they get sustenance through that watering, and we all have the same spirit that gives us strength and sustenance. Okay, so the Holy Spirit is the one that we are baptized with, which brings us into the body of Christ. And the Holy Spirit then indwells us, and he seals us, and he is the guarantee that we will receive the fullness of the promise of salvation. Now, we don't have it yet. We may be saved, we are promised eternal life, but how many of you are physically not going to die? Okay, God tells us, all of us are going to die physically. The promise is that we will receive a glorified body after that physical death, like Christ did, and we will be perfected at that point, both body and spirit, and then for eternity, we will live literally complete in Christ uh, with that perfect, sinless, painless, uh, no-fault body that we don't have to have a warranty on or anything, okay? So that's what we have to look forward to, and and the Holy Spirit in us is the seal or the guarantee of that fulfillment, okay? So that we know, we know absolutely certain, because the Holy Spirit's in us, that will happen. God will keep his promise because the Holy Spirit's in us. And it's the Holy Spirit who brings us into one body. He makes us one as a church, and that's important. Because Christ prayed in John 17, and you see this theme throughout the scripture, even in Paul's letters, especially in Ephesians, that all believers should be unified as one body. We should all have the same mind and have the same spirit, not just the Holy Spirit, but our own spirit for the things of God so that we can get along in unity. All right, That's what the Holy Spirit brings to us. 
So the baptism of the Spirit or with the Spirit is when the Holy Spirit comes into us to dwell within us at salvation. It happens once as believers. It does not happen repeatedly. There is not a second baptism. It happens once when we are saved. So a point that I mentioned last week that I want to make again today because it's important. The baptism with the Holy Spirit is not an experiential thing where something extraordinary will happen physically to you and all of a sudden you will manifest some, some supernatural event. Okay, When we are born again by the Spirit of God, he comes into us, he indwells us, but it's an inward spiritual change. It's not an outward thing that all of a sudden manifests itself in some extraordinary way. We do have a new spirit. But this is where we have to differentiate between the baptism of the Spirit once when we're saved and the filling of the Spirit, which can happen over and over within our lives as believers. Now, this is where we want to focus on verse 4 in Acts chapter 2. Last week, we focused mainly on the first three verses as we defined the baptism of the Spirit. Now we want to look at verse 4 because verse 4 says, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. So first, you have in the first three verses the filling of the Holy Spirit as he comes down and is poured out into these believers for the first time in the world and indwells them. And then in verse 4, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost. This is a different thing that comes after the indwelling of the Spirit. And he says, and the, and the verse says, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, The question is, if the baptism of the Spirit is not an experiential thing where it doesn't manifest it outwardly in some extraordinary circumstances, then what about the speaking in tongues? Okay, well, I just read the answer. The answer very simply is, they were filled. And that's what caused this extraordinary event of them speaking in languages that they had not learned. Okay, this is known languages, by the way. This is not just babbling. Because the people from other nations gathered and heard them speak in their own language. So when the Holy Spirit came, he first indwelled them in the baptism of his spirit. Then he filled them, and that's what caused this uh, extraordinary event where they spoke in tongues. Now, it doesn't say they spoke the gospel. If you look at the verse, it says they were filled with the Holy Ghost They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And in going on, it says, And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, and of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. Okay, And if you go down uh, a little bit, he says in verse 8, How hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born. So this is known languages. Okay? And what they were speaking was the wonderful works of God. It wasn't the gospel. This was, remember, 120 Jews who were followers of Christ who had gathered together to wait for the Holy Spirit. So they were speaking the wonderful works of God. That means they were recounting the things and the events in the Old Testament that God had done in the history of the Israelite nation from the time that they were brought out of Egypt and all the miracles that he had performed in their travels to the, to the promised land, in their conquering the, the Canaanites in the promised land, in providing for them, in sustaining them, and even as they go through 
uh, the, the attacks of the Persians and the Assyrians, the Babylonians, as they're driven from their land, God still intervenes and protects and provides for them. And so this is the things that they're talking about. Now, I want you to understand that because it's important because we're going to see this theme again in just a few minutes. Okay, but this is what they're speaking in tongues, the wonderful works of God. So what we have is the, the baptism of the Spirit. First, when he comes, then the filling of the Spirit, which results in this uh, speaking in tongues of God's wonderful works. And it's the people who are standing around now hearing things in their own language, these works of God, and they say, this is something extraordinary. And some of them mocked. They said, oh, they must be drunk. And Peter then stands up, if you read through the rest of the chapter, and gives a very powerful sermon. And it's at the end of that message that 3,000 people hear and believe and are added to the church. So this is this event that happens. And again, we have to separate verses 1 through 3 from verse 4. Because even though it all happens together, the, the filling or the, I'm sorry, indwelling of the Holy Spirit through the baptism happens first. The, in, the filling and power of the Holy Spirit comes after that. If you go back to Acts chapter 1, you're just one page away. So look back at Acts chapter 1 for just a minute. And Jesus said this is how it was going to happen. Num- uh, verse 8, well, let's look at verse 7 because this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put into his own power. He's answering their question about when his kingdom is going to be set up. But verse 8 is the key. He says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That power is the filling of the Holy Spirit. And he told the disciples, You're going to receive the Spirit first in the baptism of the Spirit. After that, the Spirit's going to fill you, and that's when the power is going to be demonstrated. And how is it demonstrated? Well, he predicts, or he prophesies, really. He says, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. We're going to come back to Acts chapter 8 because I'm going to show you exactly what Christ was talking about here. But the point is that we need to get, first of all, is that the filling comes after the indwelling. Okay? That's important for us to understand. The speaking in tongues is not a normal pattern of everyone who receives the baptism of the Spirit at salvation. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, as we just read, these 120 people receive the Spirit Then they're filled with the Spirit and power. They speak in tongues the wonderful works of God. Peter was one who has just received the Spirit and is filled with the Spirit. He preaches this amazing message in Acts chapter 2. And as I mentioned, at the end of it, 3,000 people believe and are saved. And none of them speak in tongues. It just says they're added to the church. So it doesn't say anything about those 3,000 people speaking in tongues the wonderful works of God. It just says they believed And they were added to the church. That means that they received the Spirit and and they were baptized, if you will, into the body of Christ. But there's nothing about them speaking in tongues. 
Okay, so the filling of the Spirit in verse 4 that we see for these 120 people is after they have already received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. So we want to look at this filling of the Spirit more closely because this filling of the Spirit is an individual instance that can be repeated in your lifetime when God's power is manifest in us as we completely yield ourselves to the Spirit's control and God uses us then as we are yielded through the power of the Spirit, to accomplish his purpose for us at that moment in our lives. Now, there's lots of Old Testament examples of what we would call the filling of the Spirit. The Bible uh, uses the phrase, the Spirit of God came upon them. Remember, Old Testament saints and Old Testament prophets did not have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That didn't start till Pentecost. But there were events in the lives of people who followed the Lord, who were God-fearers, where the Holy Spirit came upon them. That was a, that's synonymous with the filling of the Spirit. Let me give you some examples. In Numbers chapter 24, there's the story of Balaam. Now remember, Balaam was the, one, was the prophet who was hired by Israel's enemies to go and prophesy against them to curse Israel so that they would lose in battle. And Balaam goes up with the enemy to this high place overlooking the camp of Israel. And the Bible tells us in Numbers 24 that the Holy Spirit came upon Balaam, and instead of cursing them, all he could do was bless them. And it happened twice. And finally, Balaam turns and he says, there's nothing I can do about it. What what God tells me to say, I have to say. It was an example of the Holy Spirit filling him, and he therefore did or had to do what God uh, uh, told him to do. And told him to say. So that's in Numbers 24. In Judges chapter 3. This is a lesser known judge. His name is Othniel. Okay. Othniel. In Judges 3 verse 10, verses 10 and 11. It says the spirit of the Lord came upon him. And then he went out to battle against the king of Mesopotamia. And conquered the king of Mesopotamia. And then the land had rest for 40 years. So it was in the spirit. As being filled with the spirit. That he goes out to battle and conquers this king. And it's specifically in that context. If you go back to Judges chapter 14 and 15, you have the story of Samson. Now, many of us are familiar with Samson. But as you read through the account of Samson, there are several times when Samson goes out to fight the Philistines. And it says, that uses this phrase, the spirit of the Lord came upon them. And then he fought mightily against the Philistines, in one case, killing a thousand of them with just the jawbone of a donkey. Okay, so these incredible mighty works or mighty strong prophecies are given as the spirit fills people in the Old Testament. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, when Saul is anointed as the first king by Samuel, he's anointed and Saul really doesn't know what's going on. But Samuel says, go back home and the spirit of God is going to come upon you. And as he's traveling back home, It says the spirit comes upon him and he starts to prophesy with the prophets. And people look around and go, is Saul a prophet? Later in his life, excuse me, as he's chasing David, trying to kill David, David and Samuel are holed up in a place called Nioth and Ramah. Excuse me. Um, And Saul finds them there. And he goes, and he's going to take care of David. But when he arrives at this uh, Nahoth of Ramah, 
It says in 1 Samuel 19 that the spirit of the Lord comes upon Saul and he falls down at the feet of, of Samuel and starts to prophesy and he prophesies all night instead of killing David. So his whole demeanor, his whole behavior, all of his intentions even were changed when the spirit of the Lord came upon him. In 2 Chronicles chapter 15, there's a man named Azariah. He's a prophet. And it says in first, uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 1, the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded. And then he goes and speaks boldly to the, to the king Asa, who's a new king at this point. And Asa is inclined to do those things which are pleasing to God, but he's hesitant about tearing down the idols to the false gods because he's afraid of what the people are going to do. And Azariah comes to him, and as the Holy Spirit comes upon Azariah in 2 Chronicles 15, he speaks prophecy boldly to Azariah and says, if you do what God wants you to do, and I'm paraphrasing, then God will bless you and bless your kingdom. So go and tear down these idols and follow the Lord your God. And Asa is encouraged by this, and he goes and does this. So in the Old Testament, we have many examples of people being filled with God's Spirit where it uses this phrase as the Holy Spirit of God came upon them. <clears throat> Excuse me, I've got a frog in my throat that's not going to go away, so I hope he doesn't rib it any time. <laughs> All right, in the New Testament, there's some more examples. If We are already in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, Peter is one of the ones that are in this 120 people that are filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and, and speak in tongues, but it, he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he preaches this message. Okay, that's in Acts chapter 2. But if you go to Acts chapter 4 and verse 8, and if you're still in Acts chapter 2, just turn the page and look at verse four, or chapter 4, verse 8. It talks about Peter again, and it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel. So here's a second filling of the Spirit that Peter receives. And then he preaches boldly to the leaders of Israel, not just to the people that are gathered. So it's multiple accounts of Peter being filled. In Acts chapter 2, again, you have this group of believers that are filled with the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. But if you look again in Acts chapter 4, go toward the end of the chapter, at verse 31, it says, And then when they had prayed, talking about these people or the, the believers, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Thank you. And spake, I'm sorry, they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. So here's another account of believers being filled, and the result is that they speak with boldness the truth of God. In Acts chapter 6, you may be familiar with the story of Stephen. We are introduced to Stephen in Acts chapter 6 as one of the original servants of the church that were selected to wait tables and to serve food. We call them deacons now. The word deacon isn't necessarily used here, but he was one of the original seven. And it says in Acts chapter 6 that Stephen was filled with the Spirit and with power. When you get to Acts chapter 7, now we're at a different event, and Stephen again is filled with the Spirit, and he preaches boldly to the people, and it's because of this bold message of the gospel that he preaches that the people come and stone him to death. So Stephen is filled twice that we read in just in two chapters. If you go through the book of Acts, it talks about 
the Apostle Paul, and on many occasions, Paul is filled with the Spirit of God and speaks boldly and preaches the gospel. Okay? So what you see here just in the book of Acts is that there's many occasions when the same people are filled over and over and over again. And in every event, there is a very bold preaching or some kind of miraculous event that takes place because of the filling of the Spirit. It mainly happens in the apostles, but not always. Okay? So this is the event or the experience of being filled with the Spirit. These people become bold in their proclamation of the gospel. In many cases, they do wonders or speak in tongues. And in the early church, God says that was used to basically define the authority that they had from God in bringing his message to the people. Now remember, they didn't have the New Testament. None of this was in their hands. So they're hearing a lot of this for the first time. And so God confirms the authority of this message of these people, especially the apostles, through these speaking in tongues and wonders that happen. And that happens when the Spirit fills them. Now, I've given you several examples, both Old and New Testament, so the filling of the Spirit. But I want to give you four specific examples of when the Spirit fills people and what happens, because this will tie into Acts chapter 1, okay? We already read in Acts chapter 2, in Jerusalem, these Jews, 120 Jews who are waiting in the upper room, are, are given the Holy Spirit, and then they're filled with the Spirit, and they speak in tongues. And they have the, the little, looks like fire, not real fire, but it looks like fire, tongues of fire, that appear above their head. It's a physical demonstration by God of this spiritual filling, or, or baptism of the Spirit. Okay? So it was to represent that God had fulfilled his promise of sending the Holy Spirit. And the people could actually see it. They saw these little, like, tongues of fire. And then they heard the the tongues as the people were filled with the Spirit. I'm talking about speaking in tongues. Okay, so that's in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 8, we have another account. If you want to turn to Acts chapter 8, because I want you to see these things. Acts chapter 8, verse 12 The scenario here is that Philip is in Samaria, and he's preaching the gospel, okay? And in Samaria, uh, these people have maybe heard it, but they really haven't considered it. And so uh, Philip is preaching boldly to them. And if you look at verse 12 in Acts chapter 8, it says, But when they believe, talking about the people, but when they believe Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, In the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon, this is Simon the sorcerer, Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Miracles and signs of of the apostles here, or of Philip. Now, when the apostles, which were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. Now, Peter and John were kind of the, if you want to call them, leaders of the apostles. They were the most outspoken, kind of representative of the group as a whole. So if you were going to hear something from the apostles, Peter or John would be the spokesperson for them. So they send Peter and John to Samaria. Now look at verse 15. Who, talking about Peter and John, when they were come down to Samaria prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost, for as yet he was fallen upon none of them. It already tells us the Samaritans believed and were baptized, but they hadn't received the Holy Ghost yet. So Peter and John come. 
And it's in verse 17. It says, and they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Now look at verse 18. And when Simon saw through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. And we got have a whole lesson on Simon and trying to buy the gifts of the Spirit here. The point that I want to point out to you is something happened that was physically visible to the people around when Peter and John laid hands and prayed for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. Because it says, Simon saw whatever it was that represented the Holy Spirit coming into these people. So it was a physical representation. Now we can assume many things. I'm going to assume that it was very similar to what happened at Pentecost when the people were, were first received the Spirit and then were filled with the Spirit. And I'll show you that in a second why. But I want you to keep in mind who we're talking about that has received the Spirit now. This is the Samaritans. Go to Acts chapter 10. Just one or two chapters over, I'm sorry, two chapters over, Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, toward the end of the chapter, verses 44 through 48, the scenario is, uh, in chapter 10, that Peter gets the vision from God, that he is to go to the Gentiles. At the same time, Cornelius is a Gentile, he has many Gentiles with him, receives this vision from an angel or message from an angel to send for Peter and to listen to what he has to say. So in verse 44, this is when Peter actually comes and speaks to Cornelius and other Gentiles. And it says in verse 44, While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. Look at the next verse. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Now, what's incredible about this? This is the Gentiles. And the verse uh, 46 says, They spoke in tongues and magnified God. That was exactly what the Jews did at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit filled them. Now, there's a reason for this. There's a pattern being established here. These are Gentiles. Okay? One more. Chapter 19. So first, we have the Jews at Pentecost. Second, we have the Samaritans. Here, we have the Gentiles. And in chapter 19, verses 1 through 6, we have Paul well into his ministry now. And he is in Ephesus. And he comes across these disciples of John the Baptist who've been baptized for repentance by John. But they don't know anything about Jesus yet. They repented and were baptized by John. They have no idea what's going on with Jesus. Remember, they're in Ephesus, which is nowhere near Jerusalem. And so in verse 2, Paul says to them, have ye, he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they say, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came upon them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. Here we have John's apostles who didn't hear about Christ. Paul preached Christ unto them. They were rebaptized. They received the Holy Ghost, and as they were filled with the Holy Ghost, what happened? 
They spoke in tongues and prophesied. Same pattern. Now, these were Jews that were not in Jerusalem. They were actually from another part of Judea. I go back to Acts chapter 1. Okay? Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus' prophecy. What did he say to the disciples? Look at the verse and put it in context with what I just showed you. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses to me both in where? Starting at Jerusalem, Pentecost. And in Judea, there's the disciples of John the Baptist. And in Samaria, there's the Samaritans. And in the uttermost part of the earth, that's the Gentiles that represent the uttermost parts of the earth. And so God used the same specific circumstances of the filling of the Holy Spirit to literally fulfill exactly what Christ said would happen when the people received the Holy Spirit. It was the filling of the Holy Spirit that caused these events, and they were exactly the same in all four circumstances. Okay? So this is what the filling of the Holy Spirit is. It results in being yielded to the Holy Spirit so that God's power is manifest in believers as we completely yield to him, and then God can accomplish amazing things through us as he did through these people. Now, when are we probably most yielded in our lives? At salvation. Because you have to be totally, totally submissive to God's truth at that point. That's what faith is all about. You say, God, I can't do it. I have no strength. I have no goodness in myself. I have to trust you totally for this new life and for anything good to come out of me. And so we have to literally empty ourselves before God so that he can fill us with his life. And we are completely yielded at salvation. And that's why in these events, the filling of the Spirit happened right after these people received the Holy Spirit. Okay? But it was these four specific circumstances that God used to demonstrate an important truth. And here's the important truth, is that God was building his church from every nation, not just from the Jews. That was huge. Now, before um, some of these happened, but after the Samaritans and after the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit, in Acts chapter 11, Peter goes to the Jews and he reports to them that, you know, I, I was with these people. And in Acts chapter, go to Acts chapter 11 so you can see this. He was talking about being with the Gentiles, and the Jews had heard about this event. In Acts chapter 11, this is the, some of the original converts at Pentecost, plus probably others. But in Acts chapter 11, right at the beginning, it says, And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him, saying, Thou wentest into the uncircumcised and didst eat with them. Now, these orthodox, very strict Jewish converts, these are Christians, by the way, not just Pharisaical Jews. These are believers of Christ. And they're condemning Peter because he went and had fellowship with Gentiles. 
Now, the very early church was very Jewish. Remember, the, the foundation of the early church was mostly Jews, especially in Jerusalem. As it spread through other parts of the land, as it went up into Asia Minor and over into Italy, into Rome, okay, the more and more Gentiles that joined the church over the course of the first and second centuries, the church became more and more different from the Jews. But for the first almost century of the early church, they were very, very Jewish. And in fact, many of the early Jews who were converts to Christianity continued to worship in the temple up until it was destroyed in 70 AD. And after that, they continued to go to the synagogue. And if you look at the history of the church and the history of the the Jewish synagogues, there was a point at which the contention between the Jews unconverted and the early church Jews who were converted got to a point where the Jews kicked the people who believed in Christ out of the synagogue and they wouldn't let them back in. So the early church was very Jewish. And here's an example of that in Acts chapter 11. Okay? And they're accusing Peter of going in and fellowshipping with Gentiles, which is forbidden in the law, by the way, remember? That's what, Paul, uh, that's what uh, God gave in the law through Moses. But if you look at Peter's response down in verse 15... And through 18, he says this, And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell upon them, talking about the Gentiles, as on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? And when they heard these things, they held their peace. God used all four of these specific circumstances where it looked very similar to Pentecost in each of these circumstances to demonstrate to the early Jewish believers that the church was not going to be just Jews. God had opened it up to the entire world, all nations. Okay? So that was what God demonstrated in, this very, in these very extraordinary events of speaking in tongues as the Spirit fills these different people groups from different nations at these different times. And in each case, there were apostles present to witness this so that they could see it's the same gift for all of us. We're all part of the same church. And that's why Paul, when he gives the the church at Ephesus the book of Ephesians or the letter to the Ephesians in chapter 3, Paul talks about this. He says, how that by revelation, God made known unto me the mystery. Here's the mystery of salvation, by the way. As I write in a a four and few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Here's the mystery that he's talking about in verse 6 of Ephesians 3. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body, and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. And it was all demonstrated through these miraculous events that happened at each of the times when the Holy Spirit came upon these people, and they were filled for the first time. So the mystery of the gospel that Paul's talking about is how God can take people from completely different backgrounds, completely different nations, completely different religions, and unite them all in one body in Christ. 
We become one body because we have one spirit. Okay? That is the mystery of the gospel. And now it's been revealed. And Paul says, God revealed it to me through a revelation. Part of that revelation was seeing these four events happen as they were filled with the spirit. So God left no question among the Jews or anybody else that the church was for all people and all who believed. It wasn't just going to be for the Jews. And that's why Paul says, even in Galatians chapter 3, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Jesus Christ. That's the whole point of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is to bring us into one body, and God used the filling and extraordinary circumstances of the filling of the Spirit to prove that. Now, I want to look just very quickly at the filling of the Spirit more in depth, because in Ephesians chapter 5 and Colossians chapter 3, God gives us examples of things that will happen when we are filled with the Spirit. It doesn't always look like speaking in tongues. Okay? In fact, for the most part, we don't have that happening today. Not very often, anyway. But God does give us, in Scripture, some things that will be the result of, our, of us being filled with the Spirit. <clears throat> so if you go to Ephesians chapter 5 with me very quickly. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is... Uh, giving them some instruction, and all of this is in the context of walking in the Spirit. And as you get down to verse 18, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul tells believers this, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So he's saying in verse 18, don't be drunk with wine. He's making a contrast and a comparison here. Many of the pagan religions, part of their worship was to get drunk, and that's how they would commune with their gods. They were completely out of control, out of their minds, and so they called that worship, okay? because they had no capacity to be in control of their faculties at that point. And so Paul says, don't be like that. Don't be controlled by alcohol where you lose control. Be filled with the Spirit of God. What is the fruit of the Spirit as we learn in Galatians 5 in just a couple chapters? The, spirit of the, the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control. So the fruit of the Spirit is exactly the opposite of being controlled by alcohol. And so there's the contrast. The comparison, or what's similar, is that as we are controlled by alcohol, we lose control of ourselves. We are controlled by the substance. We don't do the same things. We don't say the same things. We don't have the same perspectives. We don't uh, look at things the same way. Our focus is different. It's that way when we're controlled by the Spirit as well. We don't say the same things. We don't want the same things. We don't act the same way. Because now the Holy Spirit is controlling every part of us. And so everything we do at that point 
is to further God's kingdom and to proclaim his goodness to people. Now, it's not just in our words that that happens. It's in how we live. And so our lives will be changed on a day-to-day, almost a moment-to-moment basis as we submit ourselves and let the Holy Spirit fill us and control us. Now, let me explain this word fill. The word fill here in the Greek is not talking about taking a cup of water and filling it up. That's what we would call a static filling. You fill it up once and there it is, filled. Okay, And we don't have to worry about it after that unless we spill it or drink it. This filling that Paul's talking about has reference to being filled through. And the best example of that is a sailboat with the sails, the wind blowing through the sails to push it along. It's not a one-time filling. It's a continuous thing that has to happen. And so what Paul's saying is, if you want to use this analogy of a sailboat, keep putting your sails up so that the Holy Spirit can fill your sails to push you in the right direction. That's the filling of the Spirit, being totally yielded to be controlled by the wind of the Holy Spirit to direct us in how we should go and why we should go and where we should go and all of those questions. Okay, so that's what Paul's talking about when he says being filled with the Spirit. And it's when we're totally submissive to the Holy Spirit of God, when we're filled with his wind blowing through our sails, that's when we truly accomplish God's will for our lives. That's when it manifests itself in a physical way. So that's this word fill here in Ephesians chapter 5. In order for us to be filled, we first have to be emptied. And in Philippians 2 It says we're to have the same minds as Christ, where he made himself of no reputation. That phrase could be interpreted, he emptied himself. In one of our hymns, we sing that phrase, Christ emptied himself. Now, what he emptied himself of was not his deity. Christ did not stop being God. But he did empty himself of all of his divine prerogatives and rights. He gave those up to become a man. He temporarily set those aside. In fact, he gave up or emptied himself even of his independent authority as God. Because he said, I'm not here to do my own will, but the will of my Father, which is in heaven. He emptied himself of everything except his deity. He emptied himself even of some of his divine attributes and put them on hold, if you will. He could not be in every place at one time. His omnipresence was not active at that point when he was a human being. His omniscience was limited. He knew it, but he didn't exercise it. His omnipotence, I mean, he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy all the enemies and conquer the world, but he set that on hold. And so he literally emptied himself of all of his prerogatives, all of his rights, all of his independent authority, all of himself as God, except that he didn't cease being God, to become a man. And he experienced all the exact same frustration and hurt and temptation that we do as people. And Hebrews tells us it had to be that way. So that we have a high priest who cannot be different. He has experienced all the infirmities that we have gone through. Okay? So Jesus emptied himself of himself, literally. And that's the picture that Paul says, you have to empty yourself in order to be filled by the Spirit. We have to empty ourselves of ourself. 
And if we are going to be filled with God's spirit and actually do the things that God wants us to do on a regular basis, it can't be me. It has to be the Holy Spirit working in me and through me, through his power. And that's the picture that Paul gives us here in Ephesians chapter 5. Empty yourself, be filled with the spirit of God. And that's why Jesus tells us, take up your cross daily and follow me. And if you're not willing to take up your cross to literally crucify yourself every day, you're not worthy to be my disciple. So this is a command to us. Now what's interesting is that nowhere in Scripture will you ever find the command to be baptized in the Spirit. We're not to seek it because it happens at salvation once. We are to seek the filling of the Spirit. And this is what the filling of the Spirit looks like. And we're told in Ephesians chapter 5, when you're filled with the Spirit, you're not going to speak in tongues, Paul says. Here's what you're going to do. And we read this. If you are filled with the Spirit, verse 19, we will speak to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. What will our lives look like when we're filled with the Spirit? There it is. We will sing to the Lord and edify each other with our song. That's the manifestation of the Holy Spirit filling us. And he says in the next verse, we will give thanks in everything. And we will submit ourselves one to another. Now, how many of us live that out perfectly in our lives? Every day, we are filled with a song that is to edify others and to praise the Lord, right? Not necessarily. Sometimes we don't feel like singing because we're grouchy and we're angry or we're frustrated or whatever. How many of us give thanks always for all things? Well, if you've ever complained, then you failed there. Okay, and all of us are guilty. What about submitting yourselves one to another? Yeah, not so much, right? We all get to the point in our lives many times we want our own way. We don't care about other people. And so Christ says, when you're filled with the Spirit... Here's what happens. This is what that experience looks like. You will have that music, that song in your life that glorifies God and edifies others. You will be thankful for everything, and you will submit one another, to one another in love. Turn over one book to Colossians. I'm sorry, two books to Colossians, chapter 3. Very quickly. Colossians chapter 3. This is a parallel passage to Ephesians chapter 5. Colossians chapter 3, still again talking about walking in the Spirit, same context. If you go down to verse 16, he starts by saying this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. All right, so he starts with this command. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. And then look at the results if you do this. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in the word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. And then what does he start the next verse? Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as it is in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. And he goes down the list. We have exactly the same list of results if, we're, if we are dwelling in the word of Christ or if it dwells in us, that we have when we're filled with the Spirit. So we have two commands 
that are different, but they're the same. To dwell in the word of God is to live in the spirit. And if you want to look at it this way, the Holy Spirit is the power or the wind that powers our sails. The word of God is that map by which we are directed to go in the right direction. And you have to have both. So being filled with the Spirit is synonymous with being guided by or dwelling in the Word of Christ. Okay? And the results look exactly the same. So we have the same command in both passages with the same results. But these are the results of being filled with the Spirit. It has nothing to do with speaking in tongues. That was a manifestation that God used in the early church on occasion. Today, here's what it looks like in our lives as we're filled with the Spirit. Now again, how many of us can say that we're completely uh, accurate or completely faithful in having this be the definition of our lives every day? All of us fail. And that's why Paul says when he says be filled with the Spirit or dwell in the Word of Christ, it's a continuous thing. You have to keep doing it over and over. Every day you wake up and you crucify yourself, you submit yourself to God's Spirit, and during the day you realize, man, I failed again. I need the Holy Spirit to fill me, so I do what's right. And Paul makes it very clear. Here's what it looks like when we're filled with the Spirit. Now, if these verses in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5 literally became the definition of what Christians' lives looked like and what the church functioning looked like, How many less problems would we have in our world, let alone just in the church? Okay? Why don't we do this? Because we're not submitted to the Holy Spirit. We're not filled with the Holy Spirit on a regular basis. What happens when you're not filled with the Spirit? Your attitude's bad. Your music is about pleasing yourself rather than edifying others and glorifying God. You're not thankful. You complain about everything instead of giving thanks. You're not loving and submissive to others. Wives don't submit themselves to their husbands. Husbands don't submit to their wives. Children don't obey their parents. Servants or employees don't yield themselves to their masters. That's what it looks like when we're not filled with the Spirit. And James chapter 4 tells us, from whence come wars and fightings among you? They come from your lusts. You want and you have not because you want to consume it upon yourself. I'm not filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm filled with myself, and that's what causes problems between people. And Paul says that's the works of the flesh. In Galatians chapter 5, he outlines them very clearly. When you're not walking in the Spirit, you're selfish. But when you're filled with the Spirit, then the fruit of the Spirit will be shown in your life. So the command is to continuously seek to be emptied of ourselves to be filled with God's Spirit so that we manifest the fruit of the Spirit in our lives on a regular basis. And we have to do this over and over and over and over, sometimes many times in a day, because we realize that we're not yielding ourselves to the Spirit of God. We're living our own way and doing our own thing. That's why we need to keep yielding ourselves back to the Spirit's control and being filled with the Spirit over and over to conquer those works of the flesh that will naturally manifest themselves if we just follow our old human nature. Okay? 
So the baptism of the Spirit is that initial indwelling. When the Spirit comes to live in us, it happens once at salvation. It's positional. It puts us into the body of Christ. But the filling of the Spirit is the practical part that happens over and over and over. If you want to put it this way, the baptism puts the power in you. The filling of the Spirit activates the power so it becomes active in your life. It's not that we lose the Holy Spirit. He's there if we're saved. He's always there. We just have to listen to him and, and allow him to do his work in us. That's why Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, 4, quen- or 1 Thessalonians 5, quench not the Spirit. Okay? And remember, the picture of being filled with the Spirit is this sail full of wind being directed by the map of God in the direction that you need to be headed. It's only going to happen as we yield ourselves to the wind of the Holy Spirit. To be baptized with the Spirit, you must be saved. To be filled with the Holy Spirit, you must be totally yielded and continuously get to that point. So all of us should continue to work at emptying ourselves daily, as Christ said, take up your cross daily and follow me, and letting God's Spirit fill us so that we can truly accomplish those things in our lives and live the way that God intended us to as believers. It only happens through the work and power of the Holy Spirit if we're yielded to him. We can't do it ourselves. So that's the message of Scripture today. Let God demonstrate his power through you as you yield to the control and filling of the Holy Spirit in your life. The baptism of the Spirit has already happened if you're saved. It's not going to happen again. The Holy Spirit's there. It's up to us to let him do his work and just yield ourselves to him. All right? Let's have a word of prayer as we finish today. Father, again, we thank you for your truth to us. We thank you that you have given us your spirit to guide us, to teach us, and literally to power us to do those things that are pleasing in your sight, to live in a way that is pleasing to you and that edifies each other in love. Lord, we can't do it without you. We can't do it by ourselves. And so help us to know, first of all, that we are your children with the Holy Spirit in us, to know his presence is there. And then knowing that, to continuously yield ourselves, to repent of our sin and selfishness so that he can do his work, that he can accomplish in us what you want to be done through our lives so that you will beget the glory for all of what we do and say as you've told us in your word. Lord, challenge us now. I pray that you would make us doers of the word, not hearers only. Give us understanding and give us opportunity to practice these things and trust you as you lead us each day. We give you the glory now, and we thank you. We pray for those who can't be with us. Just watch over them. Go with us as we go from this place and bring us back together according to your will and your time. And we praise you and trust you, and we love you. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Thank you. You're dismissed.